I start almost every morning exactly the same way, with a tug or more like a push, as my three-year-old daughter says, Daddy, is it time yet? Doesn't matter if it's 4.30, 5.30, or 6.30, she has no concept of time. She just pushes and says, Daddy, is it time yet? And what she means by, Daddy, is it time yet, is, is it time for you to get out of bed, go downstairs, and turn the television on for me? That's what she means. Some of you heard a prequel to this story. I'm going to add to it a little bit in our time today. See, when Reagan wakes up, she has one deep hope, one thing she wants more than any other. It's not me. It's not her mom. It's little Einstein's on Disney+. And her heart craves it from the moment she wakes up until the moment that daddy turns it on at the right time. Now, because she has no concept of time, she does know that the seven on the clock means that it is time. But she doesn't know how long the waiting period is going to be. And so in those moments, her hopeful little heart is just preparing for the joy she's going to experience when it's the right time. And all she can do in the waiting is trust that I'm a dad of my word, that I won't lie to her about what time it is, and that when it is time, I'll get out of bed and I'll go downstairs and I'll turn on the TV for her. In the meantime, she just keeps pushing. Daddy, is it time yet? Is it time yet? 50 years or so after the very first Christmas, the Apostle Paul was reflecting on Christmas, and he wrote these words in Galatians. He says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, Paul had the advantage of hindsight. He could look back 60 years or so after the first Christmas, and he could use those words. It was the exact right time. Paul, looking back, could say that. But all of humanity, before that moment, when the Christmas time story had begun, just had to do what Reagan did and ask, Father, is it time yet? Please, is it time? Because there was a hope, a desire that they wanted to see met. There was preparation, a long extended period of time, and they had no concept of time, at least not compared to God. And so creation, humanity wondered, is it time yet? Paul could look back and say that Christmas happened at exactly the right time. When the world needed it most, God and his love came close. He came at the exact right time. And what did he do when he came? He came to bring people close. How close? Into their very family, into his very family. That close. Now, this takes us back to why Christmas had to exist in the first place. See, in the Garden of Eden, man and woman were in the garden, and sin entered into the world, and sin did what sin does. It made something that was close distant. See, God was close 
to humanity. Humanity was close to one another, both existing in perfect relationship up until the time sin came in. And what sin did is it brought distant those two relationships that were close. Christmas exists to bring close what sin made distant. Let me say that again. Christmas exists to bring close what sin made distant. That's why Christmas exists. But Adam and Eve in the garden wondered, but when would it happen? See, God showed up shortly after sin entered into the world, and he made a promise. And he said, a a woman will bear a son, and when the woman bears the son, the son will redeem all who are under the curse of sin, which is everyone. Things will go back to normal. The closeness will return. A few stories later in the Bible, Adam and Eve have a son. And I wonder if they looked at each other and said, I bet this is the one who will bring things back to normal. Their timeline was way off. I mean, in 2020, we know something about timelines being way off. I was the person who said in March, oh, by Easter, everything will be back to normal. We've been saying it all year. Our timelines are way off. So were Adam and Eve's. Their timeline was way off. They knew a baby boy would be born to a woman, but it wasn't that baby boy, and it wasn't the next one, and it wasn't the one after that. In fact, there were 2,000 years of time that passed from Adam and Eve until we really pick up the story again. To 2,000 years before Christ, God shows up, and all along the story, see, woven into our Christmas story are these ancient foreshadows of glory pointing us to the time, the exact right time, when Christmas would happen. And so God shows up to a guy by the name of Abram. In in Genesis, it says it this way. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. To Adam and Eve, he promised a child who would come and and would break the curse of sin. To Abram and his barren wife, Sarah, he promised a child who would come and the whole world would be blessed through them. Now, this was highly unlikely. I mean, Abraham was nearing 100, Sarah was nearing 90. And just in case you're thinking, well, back in the Bible, didn't people live to be like 800 or something? So that wasn't really that old. No, they were living under like normal ages. They were old people. And God says to them, you're going to have a child, and that child is going to have children. And one day, Abraham, your descendants will bless the whole world. How unlikely was it? How, how, how much would it have been difficult? How difficult would it have been for them to believe it? Like the Browns waning to win a Super Bowl, friends. That's how difficult. It would have seemed impossible. And God says to Abram's wife, Sarah, at this time, at this time, next year, 
you're going to have a son. 90 years old and barren. Do you think Sarah had cried tears because of her barrenness over those 90 years? Do you think she had wondered, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I? In a culture where your, your livelihood, your health, your status is completely dependent upon how many kids you can have, do you think a barren Sarah ever cried some tears? And then God shows up and says, at this time next year, a son will be born. And I wonder if Abraham and Sarah ever looked at each other and thought, I wonder if this is the one. I wonder if it's finally time for things to go back to normal, for the distance to be closed again. And although God said that he would bless the whole world through Abraham's descendants, the closeness that the world was longing for, searching for, hoping for, didn't break in then. God's plan was beginning to unfold more, and Isaac would have a child who would have a child, and this nation would grow, and we would know them as the Israelites, and God would be their God, but their time would not be easy. They would end up in captivity for hundreds of years. And there's parts of the story that I could explain and walk you through, but just know that they were waiting and longing, longing for the hope to be fulfilled of the one who would come, who would break uh, sin's curse, and who would establish Abraham and his family as a blessing to all the world. We'll pick up the story almost a thousand years later. A thousand years later, we meet this other unlikely mother, a woman by the name of Ruth. She's been widowed. She shows unbelievable love to her mother-in-law. She gets into an unlikely marriage with a guy by the name of Boaz. Ruth and Boaz have a child whose name is Obed, who has a child whose name is Jesse, who has a child whose name is David. It is then said of David a thousand years or so before Christ that a kingdom will be established through him that will never, ever end. And it will usher in a new type of kingdom that the world has never known. And David was a great king and many great things happened during the reign of King David, but he wasn't perfect. He made some big mistakes. They've been well talked about. David enters into an adulterous relationship, and uh, there's a tragic character by the name of Bathsheba who, who's taken advantage of in this whole scenario and gets the worst of it. And Bathsheba bears a child, and his name is Solomon. And God makes a promise to David through Solomon, that his line will be carried on, but also that Solomon would build a palace, in essence, helping God come close to the children of Israel. And I wonder if David thought, maybe this is the one. Maybe it's finally time where God is going to come close again, and the distance will be close. It's finally time. Uh, but Solomon had problems of his own. He did write a couple of really good books, but he made some big mistakes too. And Solomon, what ends up happening to the children of Israel during Solomon's reign is instead of becoming closer, they actually get further apart. The family 
of Solomon and David gets split. The nation of Israel itself gets split. And so what was at least close up until that moment, the family and the nation now separates off in splinters. Again, what was supposed to be close is now distant, far away. And the whole point of Christmas was to bring things that were distant close again at the right time. After the nation and the family split a couple of hundred years go by, I keep saying a couple of hundred years like it's quick. We've known what it is this year to wait, to hope, to have expectation. Our weeks were their centuries. And so the centuries went on another three or so until we get to 750 B.C., 750 years before Christ. And at this time, the time of like great kings is kind of past. And the Davidic kingdom is not what it once was. Even the kingdom itself is waning. And there's a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And he speaks these words. He says, nevertheless, that time, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles will be filled with glory. Isaiah looks out at the nation of Israel captive and he says, don't give up hope. Don't give in to despair. There will be a time in the future we can trust that God is a God of his word. One of these nights I've been mentioning, Reagan woke up at like 2.30 in the morning, came over and hit me and said, daddy, is it time yet? I was like, it's not even time for my midnight snack let alone for you to get up. So why don't you crawl in here and snuggle with dad for a bit. Our concept of time, so off. And Israel here is still 750 years before Christ. And Isaiah is telling them, don't give up hope. The time will come. The darkness will be lifted. The anxiousness, the fear, all of the things that are causing darkness over Israel, all of the things that cause darkness in our lives. And maybe over the last year, you've experienced darkness, some fear, some worry, some doubt, some disappointment. Certainly some distance. And you've been waiting for the darkness to be lifted. Isaiah tells them, don't give up. God keeps his word. He will show up. 50 years more goes by. We're now 700 years before Christ. And the prophet Micah actually drops a hint of what they're looking for. He says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. You Marvel and DC fans love a good origin story. Batman is my favorite. But just the Christian Bale ones. 
origins from distant past. How distant? I mean, 1,300 years prior through Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. Uh, 600 or so years prior with Ruth and Obed and Jesse and David and Bathsheba and Solomon. Origins from distant past. The child will come. Actually, I skipped ahead. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies. And so the woman in labor gives birth. A woman will have a baby boy. His origins will be from distant past. He will be born in Bethlehem. And I wonder if then for the next 700 years, every time there was a baby born in Bethlehem, if they thought to themselves, is this the one? Is it finally time? Is it time yet? Daddy, is it time yet? Father, is it time yet for hope to be fulfilled, for the darkness to be lifted, for the goodness to extend to all people, for the new kingdom to usher itself in, for all that is distant broken by sin, to be restored and fixed and made close again. Is it time yet? And it still wasn't time. 700 more years passed. And this time, it mostly went quiet. Silence. Remember a year ago when we would just ask for some quiet time. He thought, if I could just have some more quiet time, slow down my life a little bit. And there's certainly been some good to that. But some of us this year, we have faced quiet that we didn't want to face. Quiet that wasn't welcomed. Quiet because people we used to be able to gather with, we can't. Quiet because you just couldn't take another Zoom call, so the conversation's kind of ended. See, the kind of quiet that Israel faced was not the good kind of quiet. It was not a quiet that was peaceful and restful. It was a quiet that they longed for it to end. It's ironic, though, as I'm talking about quiet, there's a beeper going off. See, the quiet... Quiet needed to end. And so for 700 years, Israel longed for the quiet to end. And then we get to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. You're probably familiar with this story, but let me point out a word that maybe you've missed. Luke 2, 1, at that time. At that time. The Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. See, at that time, the time that Israel had been longing for, not just Israel, the world had been longing for for 2,000 years. At that time, an emperor of the Roman Empire, a guy who heralded himself as a god, or at least other people did, who probably thought that he was just in issuing a census so that he could understand his own power and how much people he had in his kingdom, a guy who probably thought that he was operating as somebody who understood timelines and authority, 
was really just issuing a census as a pawn of the God of time. See, the God of time for 4,000 years had decided that at that exact time, the emperor of Rome would decree a census. And when he would, it would trigger some movements. And a young man by the name of Joseph and a young woman by the name of Mary who were betrothed to be wed, an unlikely woman who was about to give birth to the most unlikely of children, a baby boy whose origins came from distant past, who had in their genealogical line Abraham and Sarah, David and Bathsheba and Solomon, all the way through would be triggered to move by an emperor's decree to go from where they were living back to Bethlehem and the town of David exactly where Micah had told them the baby would be born. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 6, it says, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. While they were there, the time came. It was finally time. The time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Many of you would know the story too, that at that same time that was going on, this angelic host appeared. And as the angelic host appeared, the shepherds saw it and they flocked over to Mary, and as they did, they gathered around the baby. And it says, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Or as one other translation says, she pondered them in her own heart. And all who heard the story about how it was finally time after all of these years that the time had finally come, it says they wondered about it. One of those days that Reagan woke me up, we went downstairs, and I'm looking at the clock, and the clock says 6.59, and just in case you don't know the whole story, the right time is 7 o'clock, and 6.59, and Reagan looks at me, and she goes, Daddy, it's never going to be time, but I can tell time. I know the timeline. She doesn't. And so I looked at her in her despair, and I said, honey, why don't you look again? And as she looked again, the clock went from 6.59 to 7. And it was like her eyes lit up. Normally, when she would see seven on the clock, like on other days, she would have this euphoric, like, like screaming and like ecstatic dancing. But this time, because she saw it go from 6.59 to seven, she didn't even scream. Her eyes just went like, because it was like she was seeing the fulfillment of time, the fulfillment of hope happen right in front of her. 
And when the angel or the shepherds and all who told them wonder, I think it's because they're looking at the child and they're going, oh my goodness, it's actually finally time. It's finally time for Abraham's descendants to bless the whole world. It's finally time for the new type of kingdom to come in. It's finally time for the darkness to be lifted. It's finally time for the baby to be born who would set people free. It's finally time for sins, curse to be broken. It's finally time for all that is distant to become close because it's Christmas time. And Christmas has always been about that which is distant coming close again. And so the world wondered, but Mary pondered. What do you think Mary pondered? Maybe Mary pondered, well, I cry the cries or the tears of barren Sarah? Will I cry the tears of widowed Ruth? Will I cry the tears of Bathsheba? Will I cry the tears of all of the unlikely women who bore all of the unlikely sons all throughout the story? As she looks and sees the pain that all of them would have experienced all throughout those years. And as Mary looked at her child and pondered all that was going I think Paul, as he was reflecting on Christmas, was giving us a snapshot of what Mary was pondering. Because Paul tells, tells us that at the exact right time, God sent his son into the world, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. But that line there in the middle, to redeem those who were under the law. Well, how would God go about redeeming those who were under the law? See, Christmas time brought Christ into the world. But then, as Christ grew up, we eventually arrive at Easter. And Easter is just the reversal of Christmas. Because whereas during Easter, God, or in Christmas, God was sending his son down to earth to bring distant that which was close. On Easter, Jesus becomes distant from God. Totally separated so that you and I could always be close to him. And on the cross, Christ is completely distanced from God as far as he ever was. So that after the cross, you and I could be as close to God and things could go back to normal. The distance would be closed. How close could we be to God? Like we were a part of his very own family, adopted as sons and daughters. See, after seven o'clock, I grabbed Reagan on that particular day. I picked her up as I always do. And I say, you have to give me your morning hug first. She squeezes me and gives me her morning hug. And then I say, morning kiss. She gives me her morning kiss. And then I carry her over to the couch and I put her on the couch and I wrap her in her blanket and I get her chocolate milk and I turn the TV on and on comes little Einstein's. 
And never has there been a more joyous moment in a child's eyes, or at least in Reagan's eyes, when she's sitting there with blanket hot chocolate and little Einstein's. It's like every hope ever has been fulfilled. And all of the waiting, and all of the longing, and all of the despair, and all of the darkness, and everything that came before it doesn't matter because now it's exactly the right time. And she enjoys hope fulfilled. See, in the year that we all need Christmas the most, it is the time, the exact right time for you to let love come close. And to let Christmas do what Christmas does, to make that which is distant close again, starting with you. This is not the year to put it off to next year. This is not the time to say, I'll do it next time. This is not the time to be distracted by everything else. This is the time, exactly the right time, to let love come close. How close? to break inside of you. How close that you would become a very member of the family of God, that you would allow Christmas's love to finally be fulfilled in you as you let love break in. And when you let Christmas love break in. When you let love, Christmas love, do what it does, then you will see in your life how sin's curse will be broken. How you will join Abraham's family of people who even regardless of circumstances just say, I'm in God's family. And there's a joy in it because I've stepped into David's new kingdom. It's a reversal of everything the world throws at me. The darkness, the anxiousness, the worry, the fear, it's been lifted because I know my father is a God of his word. I've been set free from shame and guilt and my past because at exactly the right time, love came close. Christmas love brings close all that has been made distant. And that's not just those of us or those of you who have never really let love enter in. You've never stepped into God's family. It's also for those of us who are already in God's family. And Christmas is the proof that all things that have grown distant, all things, Husbands and wives, siblings, friends and former friends, parent and child, a nation divided, that Christmas love can bring close again that which has been made distant. And so today, Will you let love come close? Will you let love bring close that which is distant? Let me start with those of you who have never properly reflected like Paul did and realized that 
because of Christmas, we can be invited into God's family. See, there may come a day in your future, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, where you, like Paul, are reflecting back on Christmas. And you're talking to a child or a grandchild, and they're saying, Grandma, Grandpa, Aunt, Uncle, Mom, Dad, can you tell me about 2020? And you go, please, no. It was the craziest of years. I I once went 10 days without showering, right? The Browns won the Super Bowl. It was unbelievable in all aspects. But then Christmas time came around. And it was the exact right time that I needed it. And love came close. And you might look back and you might say, in fact, your grandma and I or your grandpa and I or, or your mom and I or your dad and I or, or your aunt and uncle and I or your this and that and I. Like we still talk together. We're still married. Our relationship still exists because that time love brought close again. What had been made distant. That's the power of Christmas love. Paul reflected on it. One day we will reflect on it. So let love come close. Let's pray. I want to pray for those of you first who have never stepped into the family of God. You've never let love come so close like letting it break into your very heart. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And in the quietness of your heart, I would encourage you to pray it with me. God, I am tired of being distant from you. I acknowledge that today is the exact right time for the curse of sin to be broken. I thank you that you sent your son into the world, not just, as, not just as the Christmas gift, but also as the Easter sacrifice, the payment for my sin. And I want your love to come close again. I want to be restored to relationship with you. If you've prayed that prayer, the Bible calls that salvation. It's not an ending point, it's a starting point a journey from this time forward in relationship with God. And for the rest of us, I pray, Father, help us through the power of Christmas love, you sending your son into this world to bring close all things in our lives that are now distant and ought not to be. Through the power of Christmas love, help us to restore. And may you bring close again those things that should be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.